We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at this whole concept of revenge, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. My father had the most classic Indian chief motorcycle that you could ever imagine. We grew up loving bikes. My brothers and myself all had motorcycles. And, you know, having a motorcycle gives the image, at least, of being a tough guy. And honestly, a lot of guys like that. They like to have like a weekend where they can be the tough guy, put on the leathers, get on the bike, and go down the street. But there's always guys tougher than you are. So you got to be careful. Three Hell's Angels walked into a restaurant, a truck stop in Broken Bow, Nebraska, and uh, there was a truck driver who was seated. He had ordered his meal, and he was quietly eating it. Uh, one of the Hell's Angels guys walked up to the man in the booth and uh, took his eggs and just started eating them. Another Hell's Angel, his buddy walked over and started eating something else. And the third went over to the guy and grabbed his coffee and down part of it, threw the rest on the truck driver, trying to provoke him, trying to get him into a fight. The truck driver was very wise. He didn't say a word. He didn't really give a scowl. He just got up quietly. He was a slight man. He wasn't very big. And he walked over to the cash register, paid the bill, and walked out. Well, the Hells Angels, you know, didn't have any fun. So one of them looked out the, uh, to his buddy and said, that guy wasn't much of a man. And um, the waitress, looking out the window, smiled and he said, and you know what? He wasn't much of a truck driver either because he just ran over three motorcycles. <laughs> Now, the reason we like that story is because we all have a tremendous capacity for retaliation. We call it evening the score or giving a person what he deserves. In the movies, who's the hero? The guy who gets revenge. Hasta la vista, baby. Our governor. (laughs) Or the one who says... Go ahead, make my day. Those are the guys that oftentimes we look up to. Now this morning, it's going to be a difficult message because I'm going to challenge you, myself as well, all of us, to suffer. You go, oh boy, great. What a great message. You're challenging us to suffer? Yes. I'm going to ask you to give up some of your rights and to accept wrongs. Let's look at the passage. You'll see what I mean just by an overview of it. Verse 38, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. There's a few things going on in this short little paragraph. First of all, there is the misunderstood principle. Jesus refers to it in verse 38, what they had heard, the misunderstood principle. Then Jesus gives his rendering, but I say unto you. That's the master's principle. 
And then the third thing we have in the rest of the paragraph is the master's principle illustrated. So that's what we want to look at this morning, the misunderstood principle, the master's principle, and then the master's principle illustrated. Look at that uh, first opening verse of the paragraph. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now that sounds great to some of us. We read that and go, I I have no problem with this. Somebody smacks you, you smack them back. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I heard about a maid who was fired from her job by a wealthy family. One day notice she was out. She stood at the front door, and uh, as she was leaving, she took a $5 bill out of her purse, and she threw it toward Fido, the family dog. And father asked, why are you doing that? She said, I never forget a friend. It's for all of the times Fido helped me clean the dishes. (laughs) Gross! But she saw that as payback. Now what is Jesus referring to? What does he mean when he quotes that verse, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus is quoting from the law, from the Old Testament. There's a few different passages that use the same language, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. One comes out of Exodus 21, the other out of Leviticus 24, and there's a third in Deuteronomy 29. In Exodus 21, the law refers to two guys who are having a fight, some kind of a fist fight that breaks out to other people around who might be injured. And the law stipulates that if there's a pregnant woman there and you happen to, in your fight, get too close and injure her, The law states, Exodus 21, But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Then there's Leviticus 24. Whoever causes an injury to a neighbor must receive the same kind of injury, broken bone for broken bone, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Anyone who injures another person must be injured in the same way. Now, before you say, God is such a meanie, all those Old Testament laws that reveal He's a God of wrath, what a mean God. That's the misunderstood interpretation, the misunderstood principle. There are certain things that must be noted here. When that law was given... It was given not as a personal, but a national law. The idea wasn't that you could take out personal vengeance on somebody else and even the score. The idea is that this was given to the judicial system, the judges of the land. These were civil cases, not personal issues. So the command isn't to get even. The command is to get justice. Second thing to note about that Old Testament passage is the law was given as a deterrent against further crimes. And you've got to admit, this would be an incentive not to do these things. You don't want to get that guy's hand because you could get your hand cut off. By the way, they still practice some of this in still some Middle Eastern countries. Listen to Deuteronomy 19. Those who remain shall hear and fear, and hereafter they shall not again commit such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life 
eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. But there's a third thing to remark about this passage. And that is, the law was given to limit vengeance. To limit vengeance. It wasn't to be cruel, rather it was for mercy. The law came to be known as the lex talionis, which means there will be an exact retribution for the crime that's been committed. It appears in the earliest laws like the Code of Hammurabi, uh, the ancient law books of the Babylonians, etc. It was to limit vengeance because it's human nature to exceed the crime that's been done against you. Vengeance is not satisfied with justice. It wants to exact more. So you poke my eye, you're going to be blind. You knock out one of my teeth, you'll wear dentures, buddy. So to limit the vengeance, the law was given. By the way, that was Lamech's sin. Back in Genesis chapter 4, he wanted to give out more than had been given to him. Listen to what it says. He says, I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech shall be avenged seventy-sevenfold. And you may remember a passage in your Old Testament called the Avenger of Blood passage. That, That is, there's this phrase that's used over and over again in the Old Testament, the Avenger of Blood. And when you build a city of refuge, it's so that the avenger of blood won't get to you before you have a fair hearing. The avenger of blood was somebody in a tribe designated to go out against the other tribe that has committed some crime against them. And so if you committed a crime, you wanted to take it to court, you would flee to one of the six cities of refuge, three on one side of the Jordan, three on the other side, and you'd stay there until you get a fair trial so that the avenger of blood blood couldn't kill you. Now, let's look at the next part of this. From the misunderstood principle, we now go to the master's principle, verse 39 in the first part. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Stop. Uh Uh-oh. We like the first part, I get slugged, you get slugged. But now Jesus says, don't resist an evil person. What does he mean? Well, some actually think that Jesus, in saying this, is trying to overturn the Old Testament law and impose something new and effectively make every Christian a doormat. Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy based his book War and Peace on this ethic. Tolstoy called for the elimination of the police and the military because they resist evil in a society. Even called for the elimination of judges and courts who would punish criminals. Some won't go as far, but by the way, Mahatma Gandhi was influenced by Tolstoy's writings. Some would say, I think we still need police, but we don't need a military, we certainly don't need warfare, and we shouldn't do anything that would cause bloodshed in terms of a war. But I would submit to you, if you maintain that sort of pacifism, you're basically giving a permission slip to every thug and tyrant who could arise in history. 
Paul firmly says in Romans chapter 13 that the state is a divinely ordered institution to resist evil in society. So let's reframe this law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, in its biblical and social context. First of all, the lex talionis, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, foot for foot, etc., was part of the Old Testament law which Jesus said he did not come to overturn, but he came to fulfill. Secondly, Jesus' instructions here aren't for the world, but for the Christian, for kingdom dwellers. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, His disciples came to him, and he sat and he taught them, saying... So Jesus is teaching his disciples. Jesus never asked unsaved people to live this way. But he's asking those who are followers of his to live this way. So for Christian and non-Christian, on the social level, eye for eye still applies. That is, uh, the state has the right to impose justice against evil. And third... This refers to the Christian's personal relationships, not our corporate citizenship. It's our personal relationships. Jesus is not saying, don't take a stand against evil. Let evil run its course and run amok in any society. He didn't say that. He didn't live that way. Even Jesus took a whip and whipped people out of the temple in the name of justice for the house of God because they had made his house a den of thieves. And then, if you look through church history, even in the New Testament, you find that there was this thing called church discipline. The early church practiced it. Unfortunately, many churches today are afraid of it. And that is, if there's an unrepentant person within the church, let's say he's living or she's living in unrepentant immorality, Jesus said, after you approach him once, once, twice with a brother, and they don't even respond to church discipline, you boot them out of the church because of that unrepentant sin. So for society, an eye for an eye still continues. But on a personal level, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show it to you further. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and I want you to compare a passage of Scripture one against another. Romans chapter 12. Ooh, I love to hear the sound of Bible pages turning. It's music to my ears. Romans 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, I'm glad he said that, because sometimes it's not. As much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. On a personal level, you forgive. Now, look at verse 1 of chapter 13. We're taking it now to the public level, the the judicial system. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will receive or have praise from the same. Look at this, verse 4. For he 
is God's minister to you for good. Remember that next time you get pulled over by a police officer. You are looking at a minister of God. You go, wait a minute, I don't like that. Whether you like it or not, the system of justice put in place, even in corrupt governments, has been instituted by God. Listen, Paul, when he wrote this, had the Roman government breathing down his neck. And he was arrested time and time again unfairly. But he writes this, For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not, look at this, bear the sword in vain. That means the sword of execution or capital punishment. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So one is personal, one is corporate. On one hand, if I'm attacked personally, I'm not to attack back, but to give place to God's wrath. To bless, not to curse. But when we take it into society, the state has the right to impose a system that would exact punishment on those who are evildoers for the protection and safety of the citizenry. Now go back to um, Matthew chapter 5. We've seen the misunderstood principle. We've seen the master's principle. The rest of the paragraph is the master's principle illustrated. In each case that you're going to read, somebody's rights are being infringed. And we'll see the response to these. We're asked to give up our rights. Remember I said it's going to be a tough message because I'm going to challenge you to suffer? Well, now you're going to see it. Here's the illustrations. We're called to relinquish rights. We're called, in effect, to relinquish our right to dignity, to security, to privacy, and to property. Look at verse 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek... Turn the other to him also. I don't know if you've ever been slapped, but I hear it hurts. I've never been slapped, thank the Lord. But I hear it hurts so much that the immediate reaction is to incite that person to want to slap back. I wasn't slapped on the face, but I was slugged by my brothers. I had three older brothers. I was the baby. And you say, oh, well, you were pampered. Uh Uh-uh. I was beat up on a lot. by. We slugged each other all the time. And I never remember when my brother slugged me in this shoulder to invite him to now take out this shoulder. I don't think so. You slug me, I'm going to slug you back. Heard about a mom who ran into her son's bedroom. He was screaming. And what had happened is his little sister, two years old, pulled his hair so hard it hurt and he was screaming. Well, mom saw what was going on and and said to her son, son, she didn't mean it. She doesn't know it hurts. Then mom left. She just got out the door and now she hears the little girl screaming. Goes back in and the boy looks up and smiles and says, she knows now. To the Jews, a slap was one of the most, if not the most, degrading insult. It it was an attack on one's honor. And according to the ancient rabbis, the worst kind of a slap was not the front of the hand, but the back of the hand. So if you're a right-handed person and you were to slap the right cheek, as Jesus says here, you would be doing it with the back of the hand. Even a slave would rather feel the whip 
of his master on his back than a slap from the hand. It was such a degrading insult. So to turn the other cheek symbolizes a humble spirit, a gentle spirit. You get the You get the drift here, though. Though it's our right, you might say, it's our right to uphold our dignity, Jesus says, give up your right. Give up your right. Don't attack back. Saul, a troubled soul, King Saul, was agitated. Even when David was playing the most beautiful kind of music with his harp, And Saul, a couple of times, took his spear and he threw it in jealousy at David across the room. We know that story, but have you ever stopped to think about that moment? What it was like for David? Now the spear's on his side of the room. David's a much better shot than Saul, we know that. And he could have looked at that spear and said, now you're going to get yours, and flung it right back and he probably wouldn't have missed But what did David do? He ducked. He ran. What did Jesus do when he was slapped, when he was spat upon, when he was insulted, when he was crucified? Did he hang on the cross and say, wait till after the resurrection. You're going to get yours. No. You know what he said. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. A call to relinquish dignity, our right of dignity. Second, give up your right to security. It gets worse. Verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, give them your cloak also. The tunic was an undergarment. It was a linen or cotton um, close-fitting piece of clothing, which brings up the issue, why would anyone on earth want to sue you for your underwear? But here's the difference. Back then, people wore a tunic, and they had a couple changes of them, even if they were very poor, Most people had several tunics. And then there was the coat, an outer garment that was worn that folded out into a blanket. When I was in Israel last time, they made one for me in Nazareth by hand. And it's the tunic that is worn and then this outer shawl that you wear that folds out into a blanket. That coat, that blanket was your security. At night, that's what you'd sleep with. You had one of those, not two of them. So if you're a poor person, the law said you could take a person's cloak for a pledge, but make sure you give it to them back before it gets dark, because that's his only security, his only blanket. So, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. That is, the willingness to surrender something very, very valuable to you, even your security. But it gets worse. Give up your right to privacy, verse 41. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Did you know that a Roman soldier, by the way, you know that Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, Israel, were all occupied by the Roman government at the time of Jesus. A Roman soldier at any time could compel you as a citizen to carry his backpack. All he would have to do is put the flat of his spear on your shoulder. It meant you're conscripted, man. You're drafted. What an inconvenience. You're on your way to work. You're on your way to Starbucks in Jerusalem. You've got to keep appointments. And there's the soldier, puts the flat of his spear on your shoulder, and you have to carry his laptop, his stuff. And the law, the Roman law, said 
any soldier could draft any citizen to carry that one million, one Roman mile. What would be the natural response when you felt the flat of the spear on the shoulder? You'd probably think something like, buzz off, buddy. I got stuff to do. Go away. You bother me. Or you might say, okay, I have to do this. It's my duty. I have no choice. I will do my duty up to a mile and I'm out of here. Jesus says your response could be, should be supernatural. You want me to go one? How about two? I'll go two. Now let's take it out of the Roman setting and the Palestinian setting. Let's take it into our setting. Let's take it into the workplace, the modern setting. It's quitting time at your work. You can't wait to go home. You're going to take your wife out to dinner. You got tickets to the ball game. And your boss comes up to you. It's your right to go home and says, I need you to work overtime. Now, he just invaded your privacy. Your time stops at 5 o'clock. What do you do? Or you're given a job. And it's, it, it doesn't fall within the parameters of what you thought is your job description. And your first thought is, it's not my job, man. I don't have to do that. And so what you want to do is the bare minimum, the irreducible minimum, and nothing more. But you could be the best witness to that boss, that employer, by doing something above and beyond what you're called as a bare minimum to do. Several years ago, I traveled to Israel and lived on a kibbutz. It's a farm in the northern part of Galilee. And we worked. Our work hours from were, we get up about uh, 5.30. We work at 6 till sometime in the early afternoon we get off. But it was getting to be Passover time, which means they were bringing chickens in from other kibbutzim and they were preparing the meals for the Passover. So they were asking for people and would draft different volunteers on the kibbutz to work in the chicken coop at night from about 11 p.m. to 1 or 2 in the morning. And they were going to go through all the volunteers, and each of you would have a night to work in the chicken coop. Then you'd have to get up early the next day and go right back to work. Well, my friend Randy, who was with me, said, you know, we ought to all volunteer every night to work in the chicken coop. And I remember my response. Are you nuts? I want to sleep. I don't want to work. I want to sleep. It's not my job. I'll get to it when they draft me. He said, you could do that, but we could all work every night. What a witness that would be. And I went, all right. But you know what? It worked. It worked. We started volunteering every night, and after about the third or fourth night, I remember the boss of that chicken facility said, you Americans, you surprise me, because Americans have, in most of the world, the reputation for being the softest people on earth. You don't want to work an hour more than you have to. And here we were volunteering. It wasn't my idea, so I'm not taking the credit. But he said, you guys are different. Why? And what an open door to share the love of the Messiah, Israel's Messiah, Jesus Christ. And now he would listen. Now the door was wide open. So yes, you have rights, but yes, you could relinquish those rights to be an incredible witness. Finally, give up your right to property. Look at the next part. Give to him who asks and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. 
All that you have, all that you own, listen carefully, you don't own it. Yes, I do. No, you don't. I paid for it. So what? You're a steward, not an owner. God has entrusted it into your hands as stewards. You don't own it. God does. You can't take it with you anyway. If you were to die next week, you couldn't take whatever you paid for with you. You ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? No way. And actually, I think what Jesus is getting to, by the way, is that somebody is asking you for something. That person has a genuine need. I don't think he calls us to respond to every foolish request. So if you were to walk up to somebody and say, hey, can I have that new car you bought? I really need it. Well, you've got two of them. Why do you need it? So if somebody walks up to you with alcohol on their breath and they ask for money, you'd probably be foolish to give it to them at that point because chances are they're going to abuse it and you will worsen their condition. So I think the idea is that it's a legitimate need that is being requested. But here's a test, perhaps. If you can give it away, you own it. If you can't, it owns you. So yes, you have rights. You have the right of dignity. You have the right of security. You have the right of privacy. You have the right of property. But how tight is your grip on those things? How tight is your grip? Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I have so often heard that misinterpreted. Yeah, Jesus said, take up your cross. I married her a long time ago. This is my cross. Cross, people, people, cross. I don't think he means that. That's a bad application. But Jesus calls us, if we're going to follow him as his disciples, we die to ourselves. We die to ourselves. We give stuff up. I've given up so much to follow Jesus. No, you haven't. You could give up everything to follow Jesus. But he's given everything so that you could be his. I want to close with this little story. Well, here I am, Lord. You said take up your cross, and I'm here to do it. It's not easy, you know, this self-denial thing. I mean, to go through with it, well, I'll do it. Yes, sir, but it's not easy. I bet you wish there were more people like me willing to be disciples. I've counted the cost, I've surrendered my life, and it's not an easy road. You mind if I look over these crosses? I'd kind of like a new one. I'm not fussy, you understand, but a disciple has to be relevant these days. Hey, I was wondering, you got any vinyl padded crosses? I'm thinking of attracting others, see? And if I could show them a comfortable cross, I'm sure I could win a whole lot more. Got to keep up with the population explosion and all. And I need something durable so I can treasure it always. Oh, is there one that's sort of flat so it would fit under my coat? One shouldn't be too obvious. Funny, there doesn't seem to be much choice here. Just that coarse, rough wood. I mean, that would hurt. Don't you have something more distinctive, Lord? I can tell you right now, none of my friends are going to be impressed by this shoddy workmanship They'll think I'm a nut or something, and my family will be just mortified. What's that? It's either one of these or forget the whole thing. But Lord, I want to be your disciple. I mean, just being with you, that's all that counts. 
But life has to have a balance too. Don't you understand? Nobody lives that way today. Who's going to be attracted by this self-denial bit? I mean, I want to, but let's not overdo it. Start getting radical like this and they'll have me off to the funny farm. Know what I mean? I mean, being a disciple is challenging and exciting and I want to do it, but I do have some rights, you know, Lord. Now, let's see. No blood, okay? I just can't stand the thought of that, Lord. Lord? Lord? Jesus? Now, where do you suppose he went? Hmm. Following Jesus to follow the Master is to follow the one who said what we just read. 